Welcome to the 12th episode in an old season of Amazing Race Recap from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong. Joining me as always is the Canadian who has just had his first smile of the day when he began talking to us, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who finishes most podcasts with a, well, that was fun, Michelle Pierce-Denevan. I'm glad. I like that intro. I didn't go for a flow one for you, and that one did make me laugh. It's a, it's an underrated Terry moment, that one. Her getting back in the taxi and going, well, that was fun. It actually made me laugh out loud. <laughs> when she spaced out like she's on some sort of hallucinogenics, just staring out into space. Yeah. And then she pauses and says, well, that was fun, Ian. It's like she was having flashbacks to Nam. And she wasn't even in Nam. And you were saying right before we started recording, this is one of the most infamous episodes ever, I would say. Yeah, I think maybe the most infamous episode, well, aside from shoving, I guess. But uh, yeah, this is a this is a memorable one for a lot of people. For one that doesn't involve shoving, this might be the most infamous, or or not, or doesn't involve any uh, physical violence. Any yeah, any physical violence or production issues. This was all just one in terms of one team sing or one racer's individual run for an episode. This might be the most infamous. Yeah, I think I think most people looking back on Amazing Race 3 would think it is the story of Flo and Zack. And that's that's fairly understandable because a lot of the time it is the story of them and a lot of Terry and Ian as well, especially this episode and last episode, and also Ken and Gerard, which makes them the perfect final three. However, this episode is entirely Flo and Zack. There is basically no one else in this episode. It's funny because the other two teams do get quite a bit of content, but this aired in the first part of a two-hour finale, and as somebody who watched this finale when it happened, and the reaction to it the next day when I was at school, and the articles that came out, and the fact that all three teams would do would do uh, daytime talk shows the day after the finale, because that's how big reality TV was 20 years ago. <laughs> I can assure you that this is all people remember is what happened to Flo, especially in the first half of this episode and how she gets rewarded for it at the end of the next episode. I don't think you could have actually written a better two-hour episode in terms of story for the editors than Flo has a complete meltdown in this episode and then Flo doesn't have much of a meltdown in the next episode. Usually what happens is when you have a two-hour finale, it usually has four teams, and they have the two-hour finale as an excuse to keep their most popular team in for the first half, because usually the really popular team goes home in fourth place. And it's like, okay, we know if we just have our final three, not as many people are going to tune in for the for the final week. So let's make it two hours so everyone is like, well, I'm already watching, even though my favorite team is going to watch the second hour. No, this is one of those very rare two-hour finales with a final three and nobody's going to get the outcome that they wanted by the end of the two hours. (laughs) Is this the only time that they've actually put a non-a-limb on the final three? (laughs) Nope. Season, first four seasons and they did it, I think the final time they did it was season nine was the final time where they had a final three non-a-limbs. Those, the first four seasons uh trying seasons five and six didn't season seven definitely did yeah seven and eight did and nine did so yeah first four then seven eight nine that's ridiculous well now it seems ridiculous but it's uh it's a bit different here because people would think it would be asinine to plan it out this way because a it'd be a foregone conclusion that it's going to be a non-elimination there's going to be no suspense to it B, there's not even a penalty if you come in last. So you, what's the point of... As It's funny because Flo perfectly sums up uh, what, what we're all thinking when Terry and Ian run by her. She says, what's the point of, of running, Ian? You're going to get tired anyway. <laughs> like, what's the point? There's no reason to run. We're all going to get equalized at the start of the next leg. <laughs> it's also worth pointing out from our point of view that just as with the previous double episode, episodes eight and nine, we're going to be doing these over two separate weeks, episodes yeah. 12 and 13. So you have still got more content next week coming. Yes. We're not going to talk about the uh, the Hawaii and Seattle visits just yet. 
But yeah, it's just funny because, yeah, if you fast forward 20 years, everyone is probably thinking, what the hell is production doing having a final three, not a limb, no penalty for coming in last, and they're all going to be equalized. So what the hell are the teams even rushing? Why not they all, Why don't they all just do the same strategy as Zach of just conserving as much energy as possible, not really putting in any effort? Because I guarantee you, if the Season 32 cast knew they were going through this, if you had Will and James, Hung and Chi, and the McGiblet brothers, they'd all be thinking, well, we know if they're the past 31 seasons of Amazing Race, let's just take a leisurely stroll to the pit stop and just all hold hands together and just wait for this final leg to come. Unless you want the prize for first on each leg. If you want that, then you want to come in first. I think a million dollars may or may not override a, a cruise that you have to pay for out of your own pocket. It's also worth bearing in mind that this leg is probably more brutal travel-wise than pretty much any leg in the last at least five seasons. It is a really rough leg travel-wise, this one. Yeah, I wrote that in my notes that this is probably the most disproportionate leg in terms of travel in contrast to the tasks they actually do. <laughs> like that roadblock is kind of a joke. <laughs> I think it got about, it was, I think, what was it? 41 minutes of airtime, running time for the first half of the two hour finale. The, they don't even get to the roadblock until the 36th or 37th uh, minute mark. So I think it's only about 30 seconds of total footage of all three teams doing this roadblock. Yeah, as much as I sang Vietnam's praises last week, I would not want to do a 24-hour train ride from Saigon to Hue. Don't you mean, don't you mean Hue or Who? <laughs> oh, that has a payoff. Anyway, previously four teams raced to Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Ian had flashbacks from his previous time in Nam, but found a new appreciation for the country and its people as him and Terry won the leg. Flo and Zach clashed when Zach refused to cut a line in immigration, sending them to the back of the pack, but a lucky spot at the roadblock sent them to the final three. At a showdown between the Brotherhood Alliance, Ken and Gerard misled Derek and Drew when both teams missed the signs at the roadblock, sending the twins home. And because this is the start of the finale, Phil starts asking his stupid rhetorical questions again, and once again he does ask whether Terry and Ian's age is going to be a barrier for them. Terry and Ian are the oldest fucking team on the race. Are they just going to uh, both have heart attacks and both be pulled up before the final leg? Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> Terry and Ian, who are the oldest team in the race, are basically already dead. <laughs> the oldest team, Terry and Ian, depart first. <laughs> May I just remind you what we were discussing a few weeks ago? Phil now is older than Terry and Ian were at the time. Derek and Drew... I believe, are older than Ian was at the time. That's crazy to think about. I know we re that people get annoyed that we keep referencing how long ago this was and how much older everybody was, but the fact that Phil picks on Terry and Ian constantly for being old, and then at this point, Phil is older than they were, and I don't think if I don't think Phil would appreciate if he was on another, if he was on Tough as Nails or something, and I don't know, Ian was hosting, Ian says, Phil, who's the oldest person in Tough as Nails... <laughs> Will he be able to make it? I'm surprised he even got here. Hoorah. Yeah, it's obviously a case of us bitching about how long ago this was, but half of this cast are now older than Ian was at the time, basically. It's quite impressive how old some of these people are, especially when you consider how much Phil has been ragging on Ian for being old. Yeah, pretty much the only contestants who wouldn't be would be ones who raced in their 20s in this season. That'd be it. Hmm. A lot of the teams in this season now are older than Ian was at the time, yet Ian is the one being called old and decrepit and useless and practically dead. What's funny, though, is that, well, not really that funny, it's actually quite disappointing that the past few seasons of Amazing Race, uh, they don't really cast anybody that's older than Terry and Ian for a very long time now. If, if you might get one racer within a team that might be a year or two older than Terry or Ian, but now it's now they don't even have to ask the, oh, will the old team do well? Because there is no such thing as an old team on the Amazing Race anymore. What else is disappointing about Amazing Race is the fact that they've actually hired a private jet for them. Ah, it's the only way they can film a season during COVID, I guess. It 
Yeah. Well, don't film one. Yeah, they can film one. Do what Race Across the World's doing and say, we're coming back when the world is actually properly open again and we can do this show properly. What would be funny is if a team tests positive for COVID during the filming of 33 and they have to cancel it again anyway and postpone for another six months. <laughs> I just love how their desired crossover has not happened because they're having to refilm the start of the race now to remove all references to a Love Island crossover team because they broke up and are not returning. Oh no, they didn't come back? Now two teams didn't come back. Two teams filled their spots, I guess? I have no idea. I've not actually been following the spoilers, I just know the Love Island crossover team did not come back because they broke up and did not want to race as exes. Wow, and that's after they thought, hmm, we should have. I think it was, what, over a year they were championing the idea of, oh, we're going to get all 11 or all remaining 9 or 10 teams back to resume the race, and then I guess that team and whoever else dropped out, they're like, oh, I guess after 14 or 15 months, they do not want to come back. So Terry and Ian, who are the oldest team ever to reach this point in the race, depart at 5.19am with Flo and Zach at 5.58 and Ken and Gerard at 6.13 and teams must now travel by train to Huey and find the Imperial Palace, which they must search for their next clue. They have $162 for this leg of the race. It's worth pointing out that I have been to Huey, I have been to the Imperial Palace and it is very cool. Nice. Was Ian waiting to say the infamous line as well? He was waiting to give me a hoorah <laughs> when I appeared. A hoorah. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> he was waiting to say that on camera, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He looked straight into the camera too. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing. Are you filming this? Are you filming this, John? Good morning, Vietnam. Well, it's really interesting that this episode and next episode are obviously basically just the story of Flo and Zach. But last episode and this episode are very much Ian hating returning to Vietnam initially and then learning to love Vietnam and enjoying himself more than he does anywhere else in the season. I will say, when you have a leg that's completely irrelevant and there's only three teams left, even if you say, oh, this whole leg is about Flo and Zach, there's still 41 minutes of airtime in two other teams. It's not like... When we watch the episode, you have 30 minutes of running time focused on Flo and Zach, and then the other two teams split the other 10 minutes. It's a lot of airtime with all three teams. The only team that gets a little bit of a backseat, but it's still a lot of content, is Ken and Gerard. Yeah, it's it's more story-wise than anything. Terry and Ian basically don't have any story once they leave Vietnam, and Ken and Gerard basically don't have any story for the back half of the season. It's just Flo and Zach and whether Flo will actually quit or not. Yeah, Ken and Gerard, I mean, once they get along and they hit their stride early on in the season, it's more or less just, oh, uh, Ken and Gerard are cooperating together really well. Just go for them for those comedic moments. Like we see them get, this episode, we see them get their second flat tire of the season. So whenever they hit, encounter a situation like that, it's always quite funny. Yeah, they're always the they're always the comedic relief. I mean, really, all three teams are comedic relief. Like this is this is an incredible final three. This is the best final three we're ever going to see in any Amazing Race ever internationally, and it still holds up here in twenty twenty one. There are no weak links in this final six people. No, even Zach, who I would say is the weakest of the final six, as we've said numerous times this season, has so many sneaky funny moments that you don't realize that when you're watching this for the first time and you only spot it when you rewatch this season and go zach's actually a lot funnier than i give him credit for yeah i was yeah i was taking notes this episode i'm thinking wow i miss all of this there is so much subtext to zach's responses it's so funny so ian does know how the place Huey is pronounced unlike terry who as you said just says hugh we're reminded of Ian's war experience again, and that Huey was somewhere near the old DMZ. And Zach's first words of the episode is that Flo is fragile at the moment, so he's proceeding with caution. Caution, Flo ahead. Those words are not dripping with sarcasm at all. What was funny is that his first quote before that was, we just have to maintain the focus, this is where we excel. That goes out the window within about the first 2.5 seconds after they check out of the pit start. 
And because I think Flo immediately says, I wish we'd been eliminated. And then Zach has to say, come on, Flo, just try and be happy about it. We're so close. And Flo says, I'm done being happy about it. This is misery. And she's not even realized it's a 24-hour train ride yet. No, she doesn't even know that's coming and she's already wanting to quit. She's in the last three, the final three. Seriously, what is wrong with her? Oh, my God. It's so funny because we're we're never going to get a situation where a team is going to get be guaranteed a spot to cross the finish line, and it's a toss-up if the team is going to quit or not, and they're leaning towards quitting. It's never happened before, and it's never happened since. So it's just great to see this big psychological breakdown, because clearly Flo is just exhausted. This hasn't been an easy season. I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn if you're exhausted. It is three teams left. You are on the final part of it all. I don't care if you're dragging your ass across the ground. You do not act the way she acted. Poor Zach. That's all I can say. Oh, my God. I want to call her so many things that I'm not going to do over the airwaves. I was watching this episode again earlier, just going, Michelle is going to have a fit at some of these moments. There is so much. There's so much. And I'm sorry, but if if you two try and defend her at any point, I am going to have it out. Oh, my God. Continue. So let's talk about why Flo wasn't in the wrong here. (laughs) So in the wrong. So... So in the wrong. I don't think it's necessarily about defending her. It's just setting up why she was thinking the way she was. <laughs> it's more adding the context. As I said last week, I think it was, I'm not going to defend Flo's outbursts. But Flo is such a crucial character to this season and such a crucial character to The Amazing Race as a whole that you have to put some of this stuff into context. Yeah, we have to, It's otherwise we're just giving the impression that Flo was in five-star hotels and just doing her day-to-day stuff and woke up one day and said, oh, I'm going to quit during the two-hour season finale of The Amazing Race. I have to say, especially this leg, the travel in this season is brutal. I said this with the, the bus from Cambridge to Aberdeen, which is highly inappropriate as a bus route. You shouldn't make people do that. They've had some really long bus rides and train rides in this season. And 24 hours on a train from Saigon to Hue is not my idea of fun. No one does that voluntarily. (laughs) No, especially when there are definitely flight routes, because I was looking this up earlier. Well, yeah, it's not exactly a small city, right? Now, I mean, neither's Da Nang, where they end up going later. Da Nang is a very large city, even by Vietnamese standards there is definitely an airport that they could have flown to. So they chose to make them go on this train to Hue just to break them down a little bit more, even at final three. And it worked perfectly. I want to know if Ian, you know, when they were waiting, where were they? Train station? I want to know if Ian said more to camera about flow and they didn't show it or whether he just let it go. Well, it's a brilliant sneaky subplot this season of Ian just trying to fuck with Flo mentally, basically. Because we had this with the bungee jump as well. He found out on the car train what was coming, basically. He found out it was a bungee jump. He knew Flo was terrified. He made sure to tell Flo and put her off a game a little bit and make her melt down a bit. It's psychological warfare from Terry and Ian, this. And it's delightful. And they do it again in the train station here, just going, Flo, did you know it's a 24-hour train ride? (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) And they already know that she's fragile because everyone has spent time with each other on that pit stop. They know that Flo is hurting. So he is doing what he can to throw her off a game in the actual final three leg. Yeah, and if they quit, Tyranian's chances of winning this race improve by 16.7%. Goes from 33.3 to 50-50. Say what you want about Tyranian, but no one has ever done the psychological warfare in this way before or after this season. 
What's funny is when Ian tells Zach, oh, you know, it's a 24-hour train ride, and Zach says, oh, really? A beefy train, which is not what I would refer to when I would hear that I'm going to be on a long train ride. I don't think it's called a beefy train. I have a very different image of a beefy train, and it usually involves James and James of the Chippendales from season 21. That would be more of a beefy train. It usually ends up with you finding something under a hedge. And and then yeah, Flo says, I'm not getting on this train. And then Zach has to go into go switch more from teammate to a coach. Because he says, Try and breathe, Flo. Uh, that, that's all, all that's all it's just what Ian said. You don't know if it's gonna be twenty four hours. Let's just why well, you wanna you wanna look at the train schedule just in case? Oh maybe don't do that. It is twenty four <laughs> hours. <laughs> and then Flo, Flo says, oh, I'm not getting on the train. It's torture. Are you out of your mind, Zach? Zach says, okay, well, let's, well, I'm sure there'll be first class seats on this train. I'm sure there are some that cater to the Western crowd somewhat. And then because they spent so much time arguing, Terry and Ian and Ken and Gerard take up the last remaining comfortable sleeper bed, air conditioned spots on the entire train. Oh, it's so, it's so delicious. If they had just bought the tickets right at seven o'clock at the front of the line, Flo and Zach wouldn't have been in that situation. Yep. And then Zach yeah. says, okay. And then I think what Zach's initially told, there's no air conditioned spots left on the train. He has to say, well, if I don't get air conditioning, at least air conditioned seats, this girl is going to kill me. <laughs> She's either going to kill me or quit, or kill me and quit. Poor Zach. It's just so sad for him. Jesus Christ. It is over a thousand kilometers between these two uh, train stations, for the record. No wonder it's a 24-hour train ride. <laughs> and the the plane ride version of it is about 40 minutes. Well. And... Yeah, Flo, Flo keeps telling Zach, I'm going to have a breakdown on this train. You wanna see me to have a, do you want to see me have a breakdown? And then Zach's probably thinking, well, I've already seen 18 or 19 of them. I don't know if the yeah. 20th is going gonna, gonna, gonna to impact me all that much. <laughs> There's just so much to love about this train scene. And, and then Flo is just enormously sleep-deprived. Again... Was Flo and the right for do it for threatening to quit on the final leg? If you ask Michelle Pierce Dana, then you're gonna get a resounding no. <laughs> but to add more <laughs> context, you have Flo you have Flo saying, I am so I'm just she just she just she looks really exhausted and she acts like somebody who is just completely out of their mind from the exhaustion, and then she's told it's a twenty-four hour train ride. Yes, she'll get air conditioning, but she, she won't even get a bed at all for the next 24 hours. No bed, no shower. And she just says, okay, I just have to lay on the row of seats before this train leaves. And I, I know what that's like. I've spent overnights in airports. If you're, if you're trying to sleep on a row of seats in a train station, a bus station, or an airport... That's a sign of somebody who is very, very tired, and it is very difficult to sleep in that position. The best thing about this is the Vietnamese disco. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that the disco level music plays, and and Flo has to switch terminals because it's just you hear how loud it is on the audio. The microphone isn't really cranked up to that much sensitivity, and you can just hear it blaring through the terminal. And Flo has to switch to a different terminal. And I think to put in context just how sleep-deprived Flo was, is that she was able to fall asleep while laying on that row of seats. And that's a very difficult thing to do. People will try it. They'll sleep in that position. They'll lay down in that position for hours, but they don't get actual sleep. Flo was able to sleep in this position. So I'm thinking, wow, she is... This is just pure exhaustion that has taken over her entire mindset and the way she communicates. There's just, there's no real level of sanity left in her brain right now. Can I just say, you think that, you know what I thought? I thought, well, obviously 
when she became a mother, if she had the same mindset, she obviously didn't work because she couldn't cope with life. Like, seriously, I used to go to work on four hours sleep in succession, days in succession, and this poor little one, oh, so annoying. She's probably never been through a situation like this before. Oh, my God. This is probably the most exhausted by far when you think, like, compared to, say, Terry and Ian, you know. They have kids. Ian was served in the Vietnam War. They've been in more exhausting situations than this. They know they can get through it. I bet you Flo has not been anything remotely even comparable or close to this. Correct. But I wouldn't have acted like that at her age. I am not that kind of weak. Oh, my God. She is so weak. I just can't take her. I just... Oh my! I don't know why Zach didn't just walk out on her because she's million dollars US in two thousand one. Correct, yes, but she's impossible. It's also worth reminding people that you might have gone to work repeatedly on four hours sleep, Michelle, but your solution to shut your children up was throwing them in a hole in the ground and pretending they don't exist. But I still had to feed them. I still had to be awake. What if you went to four one to work on four hours of sleep and they played blaring disco music? I uh, went to, to I went to, to preschool. They did wear, have blaring disco music, but actually it was geared towards three-year-olds, so it's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> this train storyline is better than anything anyone could ever script for this season. We love doing fake podcasts, and even we wouldn't come up with the idea that someone is so sleep-deprived after four weeks on the road and so desperate for a shower or food or anything like that, that during a 24-hour train ride, she prevaricates so much she loses her sleeper cabin because, you know, she's having to move to another terminal because when she was trying to sleep in the terminal, (laughs) disco music started blaring. (laughs) You couldn't script it. No. I mean, you'd be... Do you think it was fan fiction? Like, you would have... I'm thinking with Zach, he might be thinking, oh man, I should, maybe we should just quit this thing. I don't want to put up with this. And then a producer quietly walks over and says, Psst, you have a one in three shot at winning $500,000 US, USD. And then Zach probably sits there for half a second. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I'll give this a shot then. <laughs> and if you believe the internet, he got far more than $500,000 anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that next week. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know this. Oh, uh, it's a constant theory that Zach got far more money than Flo did in the end. He didn't, for the record. I seem to remember it was a joke that Flo told in one of the uh, the postseason interviews, and people actually took it to be fact. Yeah. So so they're like, they're they're still not on the train yet. Like we're we're about ten minutes into this episode. And I think Flo and Zach are still in the terminal because this is. Do you really want to see them pull on a wench at a roadblock to get a clue? No, you you wanna you wanna see this instead. This is far more entertaining. You wanna see her have another ten minutes of meltdown. Yeah. And then she says, Oh my after she has her nap, she says, Oh, my foot's asleep. And then Zach says, That's good. The more sleep, the better at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> That's good. Your foot's sleeping too. <laughs> It's such a brilliantly dickish thing for him to say, which makes it so much funnier because anyone watching this episode for the first time immediately hones in on Flo and goes, she's the worst, she's awful, she wants to quit. But if you take a look around Flo, not only do you get the hilarious storylines of stuff like Ian continually trying to mess with her mentally and give her a breakdown, but also the disco thing. But then you also get the really fun stuff like Zach's slightly snarky comments. And I know I've made this comparison before, and Brooke and Scott will probably both listen to this. Brooke, you are nowhere near as highly strung as Flo ever was. Oh, yeah, I've actually got Brooke written down on my page here later on. The comparison that people always make is that Brooke and Scott are the new Flo and Zach. Yeah, I can see the comparison, but obviously, you know, Brooke holds away a lot more partially because of the robot rule and partially because, you know, she's had a lot more life experience. But the comparison between Zach and Scott is actually very interesting because both of them are very snarky, but you never remember Zach being as snarky as Scott was. 
I don't remember Scott in response to somebody saying their foot's asleep. I don't remember Scott saying, oh, that's good. Yeah, you got more sleep then. <laughs> I don't think uh, Scott ever lost his temper with Brooke as much as Zach loses his with uh, Flo in the midfield of this season as well. Yeah, Zach, or, uh, Scott has a very st- was very steady the whole time. Not steady as in relaxed, but his attitude towards Brooke was always the same. With Zach, it, it, it ping-pongs a bit <laughs> in terms of how he, ha, in terms of his coping mechanism with all of Flo's meltdowns. He needs to get his savage remarks in or he probably doesn't have as much fun with Flo constantly wanting to quit. Because I think part of him is just as amused about it as, as the audience is. Oh yeah, he knows he's getting loads of airtime out of this. He knows that this is going to be really fun to watch back on TV. Maybe not much fun to live with at the time. What's What's even more amazing about this is when they do get on the train, Zach knows Flo is really close to quitting. He smells her about her wanting to just throw her hands up in the air as if she doesn't care about the race <laughs> and and say she wants to quit even with the finish line right there there's no more eliminations everyone is unless you pull a joe and bill and do something completely ridiculous or a david and jeff you are going to cross that finish line and flow is very close to saying nah let's let's instead fly to the finish line on the same flight as the other two teams but we don't get to participate. And then we see Flo, we see the other two teams in their comfortable sleeper cabins, and then Flo is trying to <laughs> sleep on that chair. And then I think at the end of it, she says, oh, I feel like I got hit by a truck. I see Zach, so I guess I'm probably in the right place. She is so out of it when she wakes up. Yeah. How was she breathing when she was on that chair? Her face was into the back of the chair, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, how was she sleeping like that? (laughs) That's not a pleasant smell. The other thing I did want to mention is that after our discussion about how the best tactic in Vietnam is to basically just walk in a straight line, everyone goes around you when you're crossing a road, that's literally what Ken and Gerard do at the start of this episode. They just walk in a straight line, and they even comment on it basically saying, let's just do Frogger in real life. It's the easiest thing to do in Vietnam. So I'm like, this is what I was talking about last week. (laughs) Yeah, I think they had the Frogger quotes in the previous episode too. Yeah, but it's really noticeable at the start of this episode for them. It's pretty much the first thing we see of them is them crossing the road to the taxi and and employing the Frogger tactic like I was discussing last week. Oh, on the train too. This is is the real kicker because Ken and Chard and Terry and Ian have their... Emotional scenes on the train where Gerard says, oh, you know, I'm a financial advisor and there's clearly no financial planning when you live in Vietnam. Terry and Ian are amazed by the people and seeing the country when there isn't a war going on. And then we cut back to Flo and Zach. Flo wakes up, as we said before, and then the Vietnamese disco music plays for a second time in the episode. And she says, I knew it. I predicted this music. You could not script this. This is what I mean. If you wrote this in an ORG or something, people would say you were being ridiculous. If we had turned around and made a fake episode of this episode, people would have said that is utterly ridiculous. You cannot make this shit up. And yet it happens. And then and then and then at the end of the train ride, Zach says, Okay, when we get off the train, we decide we decided. We decided we'd take it easy. Because Flo is just not into the race today. Thinking, I don't know if it's a we decide. I think Flo decided she's not into this race today. You have no choice but to take it easy. And my favorite thing is, they get out of the car park first. Taking it easy is the correct tactic for them at the start. It pays off. All I could think during this episode was, hmm, how did producers not get rid of foregone conclusions of non-elimination legs at the final three starting next season why did they still because clearly Flo and Zach are not right are not you can't really say they are racing they're just meandering progressing yeah meandering they'll get there when they'll get there I think that was an actual quote they said at the after they did the roadblock they'll get there when they get there I'm thinking that's not really a race per se (laughs) 
That's just, that's completionist. They absolutely do not give a shit in this episode. And believe me, I love an Amazing Race team when they just don't care anymore. When they have zero shits to give, it makes it so much funnier. Because undermining the show is sometimes, when it's peppered through, way funnier than actually watching people be try-hardy. This is why I don't like superfans on shows. Because superfans don't see the sense of humour in just taking the piss out of the show, knowing how ridiculous the show is, and having a bit of fun with it. Like Flo and Zach end up doing inadvertently in this episode. Yeah, they're not racing as producers intended, where they say, well, I mean, we know it's an elimination, there's no penalty, why hustle? You're going to put us on the same plane to Seattle, most likely. There's no incentive for us to hustle right now. Yeah, it goes back to something I was saying in our Vidim Georgia recaps earlier in the year, in that I love it way more that producers are constantly trying for a non-elimination, and the contestants just go, no, we're not letting you have one. We're going to keep eliminating people. I love it when production stuff goes really wrong for them, and this is a brilliant example of it again. I have a question. If this leg was an elimination, or there, was, or there were larger stakes where, say, whoever comes in last is at a severe disadvantage in the final leg, do you think if Flo had to hustle, she would have just had an even bigger meltdown and just quit? Yeah, there's no way that Flo is going to move at any other speed than the speed that we saw her in this episode, I don't think. I think Zach noticed if I really pushed her and say, come on, elimination on the line, uh, on the on the line, she's just going to s- take two steps back and say, no, no, not doing it. Good night. Play the farewell disco music. I don't, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have another savage Zach interaction. He's in peak form, really. I think because he knows how ridiculous this all is. Where... They're on, they're on their way to the Imperial Palace, and then Flo says, Oh, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to throw up. And then Zach says, Well, let me know. Do you need water? And then Flo responds, I can't drink water because I have to pee so bad. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, it's like a five-year-old. <laughs> I'm thinking there's no, there's, no, there's no victory in this situation. And I'm thinking, well, come on, just vomit, please. Just vomit. Don't say you're going to vomit and not vomit. Please, just vomit. My God, damn it. And the best thing is, even despite their lethargy in this episode, Flo and Zach are only two and a half hours behind by the end of this episode. They're not that far behind, even despite not giving a single shit in this entire leg. They're, in the, they're at the Imperial Palace the same time as everybody else. They get, they get to the clue box all together really and then that's when we get the classic uh i don't know why you guys persist on running there's no point i hope you get tired out and then close and then ian Ian says we're already tired out flo and then terry says we can't be any more tired out than we are (laughs) and then flo says okay good to know (laughs) that annoyed me this is where i wrote down about brooke and you know natalie and nadia and 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 Myrna and you know I love annoying teams. The teams that people tend to hate, I love them. And and it's been the case Good to know. the whole time, except for Flo and Zach, because of Flo being just mean and nasty and uncaring and I I don't mind a whinger. Like Brooke whinged in the entire race. I still love her. But Flo crosses a line for me. Flo is just, there's so many words. There's so many words. Um, to defend Flo slightly here. No, no, no. No, no, no. This, this, this is an actual point I can defend her on. To defend her slightly, she's obviously just got off a horrible train ride when she had by far the worst conditions. But also, right before that train ride, Ian has been pushing her buttons. Ian deliberately needled her in the station just to make her flip out a little bit. So I don't blame her for being a little bit short with Ian when she actually sees him again. Oh, and there was another brilliant Flo and Ian interaction just before that at the Imperial Palace because Ian is doing, come on, Terry, hoorah, let's, you know, let's, let's move it. All around the Imperial Palace interacting with the locals and Flo is just saying, oh, uh, Ian Ian riles me up. I wanna I wanna beat his sorry behind. He needs to shut up. He needs to shut his mouth, or I'm gonna beat his sorry behind. And I'm thinking, Flo 
versus Ian, the Vietnam War vet, and has been undercover cop in Miami for the past 20, 25 years. Who, who's going to win? <laughs> who's going to win in that fist fight? Flo or Ian? I don't think Flo is going to beat Ian Sorry behind. I I think if you went to Vegas, the odds would be heavily, I think it would be a 20, 25 or 30 to 1, fav, 30 to 1 uh, favorite betting odds on Ian. I probably would back Flo just because I think she would beat him into submission. By just by shouting or yeah, she'd just wear him down emotionally. I think. I uh, I don't think so. I think he'd have her. I'd have her. And then oh yeah, and then Flo says, "Oh, Ian is pretending to be the village idiot." Thinking what? Where? Where? How do? How does? How is Ian the village idiot when he's you know constantly in first place right now? <laughs> So anyways, they all get the the cabs to, what's that route marker they go to next after they get their clue at the Imperial Palace? Uh, it's the village of Namo Danang, and to find the, the village's bridge, where they will find their next clue. And then I and then when Ken and Shard get dropped off at the bridge, because I think they're in first place, they're first to that clue box, and then Ken turns, or no, it's Gerard that turns to the taxi driver and says, Stay! stay stay <laughs> and he puts his hand out too and i'm thinking the driver is not a dog ken and gerard <laughs> stay don't move good good boy good boy here's your dong and we get the detour we have an actual task they have to perform we do and it's probably just like this is a very famous episode this is probably one of the most infamous details ever it's uh, basket boats or basket bikes. In basket boats, they have to each paddle a coracle across to an island where they'll find the next clue. And in basket bikes, they have to pedal a bike that has been laden with loads and loads and loads of fish baskets all the way down a one-mile course to find their next clue. And I believe the basket bikes comes back as a switchback roadblock in, you guessed it, Season 29. <laughs> Does indeed it. And it is one of my favourite details ever, this one. I love it so much. It's when you watch the episode, you think, oh, Flo, Flo. Or when this detour, when Flo eventually switches to the basket bikes, you think, oh, Flo is such a wimp for not being able to do the basket bikes. And then you fast forward 26 seasons later when they do it as a switchback. And Floyd has to be medically evacuated due to performing that very same task <laughs> yeah it's a brutal task and we see terry in the i know we're jumping ahead of it but terry in the cab afterwards where she's really spaced out she doesn't speak for several seconds and says well that was fun you realize hmm maybe maybe both maybe ken and gerard and terry and Ian were a lot closer to passing out and needing to be medically evacuated than we thought 20 years ago, especially now that we, it was confirmed Flo, Floyd Floyd was medically evacuated. He could not perform that very task. That was one of the best lines of the episode. That was, <laughs> as well as Terry saying to Ian, Iron, Iron, shark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down too. <laughs> Iron, help me, help me, Iron, Iron. Oh, lousy schmuck. I'm thinking, when did, <laughs> I, when did Terry become a... An, an Italian-American in Brooklyn. You're schmuck. You're schmuck, Ian. You're not helping me with the basket bikes, see? Well, it, it goes back to what I was saying about the humidity in Vietnam is nuts. I would not want to perform a physical task in, in Vietnam, knowing how humid and how hot those areas of Vietnam are. Because, as I said, I've been to Hue. I've been to Da Nang. It's a very warm place. Ah. Yeah, that schmuck. That schmuck. When I when I when I get a hold of him, I'm gonna cut him up like a pizza pie. <laughs> what a mistake in a micah. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to walk here. So, Michelle, which one of these would you have picked? I'm not gonna ask um, Logan because I know the answer because he can't ride a bike. The I would have picked the boats only because the bikes are so heavy. Um, yeah, I would have I would have worked out a way to do the boats, even though, you know, Flo said, oh, there's got to be a better way to do it. And I'm thinking, oh, what's she going to come up with? 
oh, just just hold on to my boat, Zach. I'm like, hold on to my boat, Zach. You're not doing anything then. How is the better way? And then she starts crying and I've written in capitals, just stop it. Just stop. I have experience paddling circular boats. It, it, there's a learning curve at the start because uh, Gian and I did that uh, about two months ago. We did that. We uh, we were we went on a double date with another couple, and they had these inflatable circular boats. And at first, we did not make much progress. But then, after I would say twenty minutes or so, then we got the hang of it a lot better to paddle across in the boats. Because at first, yeah, you will just spin and spin and think, oh. Well, what the hell am I doing wrong? But then you get the exact rhythm of how of where, how your body needs to be positioned and where the power needs to be when you paddle. Has anyone ever paddled a circular boat before? I have. Just thought I'd give you a couch moment there. Hmm. I think the boat is an obvious trick detour option. I think that is a significantly harder learning curve than the bikes, if you can ride a bike. Well, I can ride a bike, but I just, if, oh God, it's just so hard. Worst case scenario, you can just push it. It's only a mile. I know, but Flo and, and um, you know, Terry looked like they had a hard time holding it upright. It's all about the balance more than anything. What mm. they should have done, both Zach and Ian, is make sure that their partners got on the bike and make sure that they had the balance first before they did their own one. Yeah. Because that's the trick. As soon as you get the balance on it, you're absolutely laughing. But none of them seem to realize that. Yeah, because I don't think pushing is really an option because I think both teams speculated it was about 500 pounds of shrimp baskets. Which I'm thinking, that's very that's a, that's a big weight to try. <laughs> Even if it's not really 500 pounds, it, that's a mile is a long way to push that where... Your only source of power is having your two hands gripped on the on the handlebars, and that's where all of your exertion has to go to try and move this thing. Like no wonder they had to resort to using locals because you, you, there's no way you can push it that far. I think 500 pounds may have been a slight exaggeration for comic yeah. events. Yeah, I'm sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was really, say, a couple, you know, potentially a couple hundred pounds. So those were oh, that was a lot of shrimp baskets. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, it's basically a detour choice of balance in the bikes and rhythm in the uh, in the boats. And I think it's significantly easier to get the balance right than it is to get the boats. Yeah. Um. Quick question, Logan. How have you grown up not knowing how to ride a bike? Uh, I I tried about five or six. Did I not tell the story about me trying to learn how to ride a bike six years ago? No. So let me see. It's been a while since I've told this one. So uh, my coworker, my coworkers from several years ago, they had they they had a bike. So one morning, uh, I think it was before we went out to work. We went at seven o'clock in the morning or something, and we go out near the dog park by my house. And they're like, "Okay, all right, I'll show you how to ride a bike." And the one guy even has to push push behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm a five or six year old kid trying to learn how to ride, and I, and uh, I'm just really struggling how to, uh, how to figure, just how to figure it out. And there's this one man. He's about, he was about eighty years old, and he's just casually walking by. And I'm practicing on my bike. My to two coworkers, they were standing about fifty feet away, and the eighty year old guy was just watching me on the bike. And then he goes up to the to my coworkers, and I didn't hear this. I was out of earshot. And he says, "Oh, is that guy that guy have brain damage, or is he is he uh, mentally challenged?" It's and a question like, we ask ourselves every podcast. They thought I had. Oh no, no, I know what he said. He said, "Oh, did he did he have a stroke when he was younger?" <laughs> oh my god, you must have looked so bad. And my coworkers are saying, "No, he's just he's just he's just learning." He says, "Well, just Logan. with the way he's doing it, there, he's he's never going to learn." And then he just walks away. <laughs> and I practiced on my own for over the next couple of weeks, and I tried all. I just I, I couldn't really get the hang of riding a bike, and apparently, it might be a genetic thing because apparently, 
my grandmother tried riding a bike. She even tried up to when she was 50 years old. And I guess she doesn't have proper equilibrium within her ears. And she just, she kept trying and trying and kept falling over and she never learned how to ride a bike either. So it sounds wow. like I inherited, I inherited that trait. So it's been a few years since I've tried riding a bike, but I never learned as a kid. And then I tried again as an adult and that didn't work out too well either. Okay. Uh, but what's funny is that I can do running and swimming really well. Next year, I'm signing up for an aquathlon, which is running and swimming, but no biking. Well, that's good. Yeah. So that's my story. So long story short, I would choose basket boats. <laughs> Definitely. So once teams do get their clues, they have to then find a Mark's boat, Quay, as they said. It's actually a boat key in Hoi An and travel by Sampan to the middle of the river where they will find their next clue. Not a boat Quay in who? <laughs> but aren't there any keys in America? I'm not sure whether they use the word key because they can't pronounce boy either, as in a boy mm, floating in the water. Oh, yeah. Buoy. They pronounce it buoy. We also say buoy. Yeah, you're wrong. Yeah. It's boy. But yeah, I'm not sure if key is a thing. That's what I was thinking, actually. And I forgot to search. I've never, yeah, I've never heard anybody say that here in Canada or in America. We probably just say docks. Mm. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's a key in Vancouver. Oh, maybe. Not exactly on the ocean. Yeah, there is. There's quite a few keys in, in Vancouver. Oh, okay. I've just never heard anybody really say key. Mm. Maybe, or unless there's somebody from Boston saying they forgot the car keys. <laughs> So Flo's at nearly uh, paddle to the wrong island, and then they end up rowing back, breaking one of the Michelle Pistenovan rules and switching detours. Flo says she got stressed out when she realised she was paddling to the wrong place, and they switch to the bikes. And Terry and Ian, as you guys said, get into their cabin. It's all silent until Terry says, well, that was fun. Hmm. And then Flo and Zach switch back to the boats, and Flo says she wants to go home again. Another quick funny moment is when Flo and Zach initially switch to the to the bikes. Ken and Charter get into their tax and they say, Oh, I guess uh I guess Flo and Zach are done too. <laughs> oh boys, if only you knew. Yeah, because then yeah, Flo and Flo has her meltdown where she's trying to paddle. Oh, I'm not even tall enough to do this. And then puts down the paddle and cries and cries as she spins in the boat. And then she's, she, she said in a confessional that she it felt like her brain had shut down. So at this point, you feel a bit of sympathy for her, thinking, man, like in Michelle reflection, doesn't. when she's, yeah, no, no, Michelle no. doesn't. But no, when she's no. at the pit stop, she's looking back on the leg and thinking, I just felt like my brain wasn't properly connected t- today. <laughs> and then she says, I'm about to lose it. I'm about to lose it. Get me to shore, Zach. Get me to shore. And then, yeah, she can't paddle. She goes to the bikes. And then, and then she's even before the bikes, I think she says, I'm going to quit this fucking stupid game. I can't do it. Get me out of here. <laughs> and then Zach tries to calm her down for the one millionth time in 10 hours, I mean, 34 hours, I guess, and says, uh, Flo, can we talk for a second? No. Well, we should talk about it because it's kind of my game, too. You're, you're not the only person on this team. So they come up with a compromise, and Zach says, Well, even if we're seven hours late after all the teams tonight, we can still cross the finish line and have a good race. <laughs> and it makes you think, because people might be thinking, well, why don't they just take, what is it, a six-hour penalty for detours? Is that still the rule, six hours? Uh, hasn't it gone down to, like, two now? I thought, it well, if the roadblock rule is four hours. It was... It it definitely, well, it used to be 24 in this era. Then it went yeah. down to six, and I think it's now down to two or three. How would it be shorter than a roadblock? The penalty for quitting a detour has gone really low. It It's definitely no more than about six. Yeah, I was thinking it can't be, because the road, a roadblock should be the lowest penalty because only one person can do it, and it's just you can only do the one task. But a detour, it's you do it as a team, and you have a choice between two different tasks, each with its own pros and cons. So I'm very surprised that that could be the shorter penalty in contrast to a roadblock. So I assume they're both probably four hours nowadays, 
And then active route infos are two hours if Amazing Race Canada is the international standard for active route info penalties. So as of Amazing Race 17, a team that quits the detour without completing either task is assessed a six-hour penalty. As of Amazing Race 29, if a team is unable to complete either half of the detour due to unavoidable circumstances, they're assessed a two-hour penalty. Unavoid, okay. That's an unavoidable circumstance. Okay. Prior to this, the penalty of being un- unable to complete a detour was four hours. So for, it is, so it's four hours for roadblock, four hours for detour? Uh, road, yeah, roadblock's four hours, still. According to the Amazing Race Wiki, that is. All right, question. Yes. You know how Zach got the two locals to do the boat? Yes. Now, I'm pretty sure that isn't what you're allowed to do nowadays. (laughs) Not anymore, no. (laughs) But back then, I wonder if it was a rule that you weren't allowed to do that. However, they needed Flo and Zach in the final, so they thought, bugger it, let them do it. What do you think? Well, the thing is, is that at the bike detour, locals were holding up the bikes for Terry and and Gerard. So it's really, it's locals did most of the work there too for them. All Terry and Gerard had to do was just pedal the bikes. I think this is one of those situations where they didn't realise it wasn't in the rule book until it happened. Yeah. And they closed that loophole later on. Yeah, Zach, I mean, of course, Zach is going to find any, well, any team really wants to find the easiest way to uh, to complete a task within the confines of the rules. Hence why we had season 32 play out the way it did. Not enough loopholes closed even 32 seasons later. Yeah, I think it was a loophole that they didn't spot. So another point I want to make is that, that I think I was about to make earlier is that the when Zach says, oh, even if we're seven hours late tonight, we can still cross the finish line. The thing is, they still have to do this detour because we're still under the rule set that if they were to quit that detour, it's a 24-hour penalty. So that's why, otherwise, I'm sure Zach would have said, screw it, give us the four-hour penalty, let's just go. This leg means nothing. (laughs) We can't get penalized, let's just take the four-hour penalty and move on. And let's yeah. quit the, we'll quit, and Flo has to do the roadblock, we'll take a four-hour penalty there too. <laughs> but because it's a 24-hour penalty, that's why they, they have to keep going back and forth until Zach figures out a solution that they can do this detour. Mm-hmm. So once teams get to the middle of the river, it is a roadblock, which is who wants to fish for a clue. In this roadblock, one team member must use a Vietnamese winch to raise a net containing their next clue that their partner can collect. And it is Ian, Ken, and Zach doing the roadblock. Oh, I have to go back to another flow meltdown moment that I connected to earlier in the season. Because it's when, it's I think it's before they even switch back to the boats, where where Flo is just really losing it, saying, do you want me to get hurt, Zach? Do you want me to get hurt trying to pedal this bike? There's no way I can do this. And then she says, I want out. I'm finished. I'm finished with this. I want to go home. And then she gets off the bike. And in a flashback to just a few episodes earlier in Switzerland, she takes off her helmet and she chucks the helmet oh, again. Again. Oh my god. <laughs> Thinking, wow, I would hate to be a helmet around flow. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna get launched each time. <laughs> she threw it on the ground. Yeah. I'm an adult. My dad is not a cell phone. I'm not a part of your system. What the hell? Michelle has never heard that before, which makes it oh, even funny. Oh, okay, yeah, she needs to... You've clearly not read the Tarstorian blogs closely enough, because I referenced that song a few times by Andy Oh, Sandberg. really? I do read your blogs, but yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh my god, what is he saying now? You should see my season 22 premiere recap. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, once teams pull the clue out of the river... They have to then find China Beach, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team's check-in won't be eliminated. It's fun writing that down. Yeah, Laura Phil says, no, no, nothing's going to happen. It's just a beach. We didn't have to try too hard. <laughs> Absolutely zero consequences here. This is why we have 12 episodes instead of 13. And Ian says on the way to the pit stop that he's realised he's a bit overbearing with Terry, but she's a very tough chick. Meanwhile, Flo says on the boat, I feel like a dead rat. 
Yeah, and I'm looking at her thinking, okay, how? How? <laughs> Jesus. I'm so glad we did this season just because Michelle hates every second of Flo being on the screen now. Well, yeah, right now, yes. I think it was fine up until episode nine, eight, nine. And then she just took it to another level. So Terry and Ian checking in first, and they win a trip for two, not from Travelocity, on the Radiance of the Seas all around Alaska. Which, having done that sort of a cruise, is a fun one to do. I did that when I uh, when I met up with Logan in 2014. It's quite the contrasting climate to go from being told, oh man, I'm just melting in Vietnam, and to be told, hey, you're going to go on an Alaskan cruise. It sounds really, really good in that moment, probably. And Flo says she's had her first smile of the day when she sees how peaceful the water is on the river. See, redemption art coming in, guys, sneaking under. And then Ken and Gerard checking in second with absolutely no intrigue. And Flo and Zach checking in third, but are not eliminated as this is the final predetermined non-elimination like of the race, which they all knew anyway. Do you know what keeps Flo sane? A Diet Coke. Oh, that, was, yeah. that was her exact word in the taxi. She says, the only thing that's keeping me sane is this Diet Coke. She's just looking for the sponsorship money. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> Forget Snapple. Fuck Snapple. Give me a Diet Coke. And then, and then Zach just says, yeah, good. That's good, Flo. Yeah. Keep drinking your Diet Coke. <laughs> I may or may not put some uh, antidepressants in there. He's so wonderfully over it by now. I may, I may have uh, cut up some, grinded up some Prozac and thrown it into your diet, <laughs> along with an, uh, another and uh, caffeine. Something very interesting about this pit stop as well, it's a very rare example of us seeing the greeter greet every single team. I guess when they already greet the first and last place team, they may as well just show the greeter with the second place team. It's just one more. Unless it's Alex Trebek, they they don't tend to show the greeter greeting every team. It's just something very interesting. So next time, the final three head to Hawaii before they reach their final destination city of Seattle. There is ziplining some memorable animals, and everyone counts their blessings before one team is crowned winners of The Amazing Race. Have you guys got anything else you want to say about leg number 12? Um. Yeah, she says she won't quit again. There were her words, I won't quit again. And I'm thinking, of course, why would you want to quit if on you were on the final leg? A team has quit on the final before. Not in the US, but a team has actually quit on the final leg of the race before. Really? What country? Brazil. Not due to a medical issue. Wow. They um, they had a an active route info in the, uh, in the final leg that um, was an eating challenge, and the consequence of not doing that was you have to quit the race, and someone did actually quit the race. What did they have to eat? It was like six pounds of oysters or something ridiculous. It was it was a, a gross task. And somebody took a four-hour penalty in the final leg of Amazing Race Asia 4. They did. Hussein did not, and it was just a simple... Uh, it was the Singapore task where you have to just uh, walk on a wire between the two buildings, and Hussein said, nope. I am not going to do that. I will take the four-hour penalty and guarantee we lose the race. And I think they were in first place going into that task. Jesus they were Christ. Right at, they were right outside the finish line. I think it was just the, after you do that, it was the memory task that was really easy on top of the Marina Bay Sands. And the finish line was there too. And all you had to do was just cross that wire and they were probably going to win the whole season. He said, nope, I'm not crossing this wire. Sorry. The Brazil task was uh, having to each eat two kilograms of smoked clams, and failure to complete this task would result in disqualification. Two kilograms? Yeah, two kilograms or 4.4 pounds of smoked clams each. See, that's a tough task. That's a lot to eat. Yeah, it's a lot of food. I don't know if my body could really handle that, that much seafood. <laughs> I'd have to eat and then vomit, eat and then vomit. The only way to be able to do it. Imagine Flo having to do that in the final leg. She's, I think <laughs> she's going to revise her her quote of wanting to threatening to quit. She would hmm. definitely quit. Well, she says, "I will never." She says she will never quit. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just fast forward ten minutes <laughs> to the next bit of the next episode. Have you got anything else you want to say, Logan? 
Uh, <laughs> that roadblock, eh? That was a real eventful roadblock. We talked a lot about that. <laughs> I'll be honest, I wasn't going to push it because I knew how little there was to say about it. Well, all they did was just pull on a wench and then they get back in the boat, grab the clue. Hmm. <sighs> right. In that case, <laughs> thank you for listening to our Amazing Race recap. We'll be back next week to recap the finale. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are, RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsipakwaki. Michelle is Bear3333333333. And I'm MJ Helmstone. Logan and I are also back every Wednesday for V's to Mop Oregon. See you next week for the finale. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye.